All right, I'm welcoming my friend uh, Dan Walden, who is at present, as I understand it, deeply embedded in Ann Arbor, Michigan, where <laughs> <laughs> he is a member of the Classics Department at the University of Michigan. Welcome, Dan. Oh, th thank you. Thank you, Elias. Happy to be here. Um, we, we connected a little bit indirectly through current affairs and some mutual friends. And then I discovered, uh, based on a couple of wonderful uh, podcast conversations that uh, Dan had put out, that he was indeed a classicist. And I so rarely run into anyone who even knows what that means anymore. <laughs> that I instantly uh, um, sent you a note and we started uh, corresponding a bit and uh, found that we were like-minded in various ways. And so our proposition this morning is to just absolutely bore the living hell out of anyone that has no interest in this particular slightly narrow subject <laughs> by go going on at length here on the joys of, in particular, not just the classics, but ancient Greek and this special thing that is um, ancient Greek. So um, I want to begin by asking about how in the world, we each have a story about this, how in the world did you get onto this, what now seems to be an esoteric subject? Oh, yeah, uh, I have. So my, I mean, I think my, my ultimate interest goes a long way back. Huh. Um, you know, I think I, I, when I was, I don't even know how old my parents could probably tell you. Um, they, they, they got me, a, they, as I think is the story with a lot of people, they, they got me a copy of, of Dolaire's book of Greek myths as soon as, basically yeah. as soon as I could read. Yeah. Uh, which if, uh, for those, for those uh, who are listening, uh, who might have young children, it is still in print. It, it, uh, it, it, it has never gone out of print. It is a, tr it is a gorgeous volume. That's right. Uh, very well suited for reading aloud and, and for, uh, for, for young readers who are looking for something of a challenge because it is not, it's, not, it's not a condescending book, which is part of what mm -hmm. makes it so charming. Mm -hmm. um, um, and I, yeah, I adored that book. I, 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 you know, I read my way through it and I read my way through it so thoroughly that we had to, we had to get another copy. Oh. Um, and, and, you know, expanded from that, you know, to, I had a sort of mythology mania um, sort of throughout school, um, and it, it expanded to various um, sort of mythic traditions. Uh, and then when I was finishing up my, uh, when I was finishing up uh, high school, I, I, I changed schools and I, I did another year at, um, uh, at boarding school. Um, all of my, all of my, all of my siblings uh, went to, went to a day school near us, but I, I shipped off for an extra year to boarding school. Um, mm -hmm. One of the, uh, you know, one of those, uh, you know, very old, very New England places that has a full wow. department of classics. Really, still uh, today. Oh yeah, I, I, the, oh yes, the, oh, the classic faculty there is doing very well. Uh, they, um, hmm. they, they, it is a, at that particular school, it's a very wealthy department. Uh, hmm. they, their their salaries are underwritten by an endowment in perpetuity. Uh, so, uh, so they're they're not going anywhere, and it, it's very well populated. People really enjoy it. Um, and I, I tried to do, I tried to do Greek when I first got there, but they said, no, 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 you, you should, you need to, uh, we don't usually let people do Greek unless they've got a oh, lot yeah. of Latin. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh -huh. so, um, I had to get some Latin under my belt first. Uh, and then, uh, so I, I started Greek my freshman year of college. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, and I, you know, I, I sort of went into, I went into this thing, I, I guess a little bit sort of, I guess maybe slightly blind as I thought, I thought, <laughs> you know, I didn't know the classics was a thing you could really do. Right. Uh, I didn't know, um, <laughs> I enjoy, you know, I enjoy history. I enjoy philosophy. I enjoy all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, and I have always um, been, I've always had a head for languages. And so I said, you know, I'm, I'm going to start college and uh, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm going to dive, I'm going to dive head first into this <laughs> and uh, hopefully, and it seems like it'll stick. Um, and happily for me, it did. And I didn't actually have to do anything else. Um, and so yeah, you know, I want to compare experiences here just briefly. And your yeah. comment about poetry is is the lead-in. Um, I was at a very large state university, the University of Texas at Austin, in the uh, in the late '60s or so. And I hadn't particularly noticed. I was just getting interested in philosophy, literature. I was a kind of a confused English major, and I moved into a dorm that was full of people who were. Um, Rhodes Scholars and SDS and uh, hippies and lost souls and everything in between. Um, and it was quite a literary crowd. And a friend of mine was a, 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 that I uh, came across was a guy who had joined the classics department. And I was talking to him about that. And he had memorized apparently a good deal of poetry. And one evening, uh, a group of people were sitting around, um, you know, in convivial pastimes. And he was reciting uh, poetry, and he did a wonderful version of Keats on Melancholy. And then he recited the Poikilothron of Sappho. Mm -hmm. We'll get get to Mm -hmm. her in a moment, right? So I'd never Mm -hmm. heard Greek recited before. And and he, he did it rhapsodically, absolutely rhapsodically. And I thought, what is this? What is this? So it was really quite mesmerizing. I have a, a ridiculously romantic, you know, kind of uh, memory of all this. <laughs> so that I also detected that at the school in Austin, Texas, oddly, the classics department was larger than the English department, which is quite unusual. Uh-huh. And it was also a place where there were some stars hanging out. There was a man named William Aerosmith, the uh, translator mm-hmm. in the Chicago series of The Back Eye, who was a spectacular teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a man named Donald Carnross, uh, who was at Boston University for a while, uh, an Englishman who used to work for the BBC and their cultural program, and some other interesting sort of offbeat characters. So it was a very left kind of classics department, very comparative very sort of poundian, you know, there was a lot of mm-hmm. in sort of literary studies, there was a lot of stuff about um, that kind of approach to poetics. So that's what sort of launched uh, mm-hmm. me. And I had a wonderful undergraduate experience, uh, which was then followed by a rather, you know, boring and distressing graduate school experience at the University of California, Berkeley, uh, mm-hmm. which was a much more labor union-like <laughs> atmosphere. Um, but anyway, that, that's what inspired me to go uh, do uh, classics. You know, I hadn't done much Latin. I'd done a little bit in my tiny Texas um, high school. So I had to quickly, as the British say, swat up some Latin. <laughs> and, and I managed to get through as a classics um, 
major, but it was certainly Greek that was driving me uh, all the way as I got more and more under the spell. Uh, that, I think that, yeah, that's a, uh, that, that's the case for a lot of, that's the case for a lot of people, I think. And I, I actually, I, when I was an undergrad, I actually, I did, I was, my Latin, I did more advanced work in Latin than I did in Greek. Huh. Um, just because I had, I had more of it under my belt when I started. Um, and, uh, but one of, one of my Greek professors was, uh, uh, she's, she's still teaching, uh, was, uh, Deborah Steiner, who is George Steiner's daughter. Oh, no kidding. Um, Oh. And uh, she apparently also uh, uh, someone who very much took to Greek, and I think uh, and, uh, <laughs> the, the the stories say that when she in graduate school, when she found out about about all the Latin she had to do, she was quite resentful of it. <laughs> uh, and and now she's a, she's a really tremendous, really tremendous Homerist and and scholar of of, oh, of, ancient, of ancient lyric. What do you know? Yeah, yeah, yes. You know, I want to read a quick quotation, and then we were talking about going to some Homer, and you have oh, a yeah. passage uh, to talk about. Um, oh, yes. It was in one of my classes that a man named John Harrington, an Escalian scholar, uh, wrote the, read the following to us from a quote from Gibbon, of all things, Edward mm -hmm. Gibbon. And mm -hmm. he's describing the situation of Byzantium in 1453. And then Gibbon writes, <clears throat> in their lowest servitude and depression, subjects of the Byzantine throne were still possessed of a golden key that would unlock the treasures of antiquity, of a musical and prolific language that gives a soul to the objects of sense and a body to the abstractions of philosophy. A truly Gibbonian sentence. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, anyway. absolutely. Anyway, so that's, that's what it's about. That's what it's about. So let's do a bit of the Iliad. What, tell me what you picked again. Oh, I, so my, my very, my very, I have, I have many favorite scenes in the Iliad. Uh, no and it, I am, I am, I, I, there, there, there's an ongoing joke uh, that uh, everyone is either an Iliad person or an Odyssey person. Right. Uh, and uh, I'm, I am, I'm very much an Iliad person. I see. Um, and uh, I, my, but my, my very favorite scene of all is in, uh, as at the end of book six, uh, when uh, Hector ha Hector has just um, he he's come in from the fighting, back into Troy. Uh, first he he's gone to see his uh, uh, he's gone to see his his brother Paris, who's in his rooms uh, with Helen. Right. Uh, and right. Uh, has he's scolded him, mm -hmm. uh, and mm -hmm. then he goes out. And he meets his wife Andromache, um, and she she gives the the, the the both of the both of them give two of the most heart wrenching speeches yeah. in the entire poem. Yeah. Um, yeah. First, Andromache Andromache says basic says, <clears throat> you know, you need to live through this because you know I had uh, you need you you need to live through this uh, because I had you know I I I had all of these brothers and. Uh, uh, Achilles killed them all, and he and my and, and my father, and you're the only you know and and so you know you you you, you are father and brother to me now. You're you're the only family I have left. Uh, and Hector answers her, and and you you and you you think nothing can match that. And then he he says, and I'll 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 I'm this is in the, in the one that I want to get to. 
uh, I'm, I'm reading from the Lattimore. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> it says, um, but it is not so much the pain to come of the Trojans that troubles me, not even of Priam the king, nor, nor, nor Hecabe, <clears throat> nor, nor not the thought of my brothers who in their numbers and valor shall drop in dust under the hands of men who hate them, as troubles me the thought of you when some bronze-armored Achaean leads you off, taking away your day of liberty in tears, and in Argos you must work at the loom of another and carry water from the spring, Messias or Hyperia, all unwilling, but the strong, but strong will be the necessity upon you. And someday, seeing you shedding tears, a man will say of you, this is the wife of Hector, who was ever the bravest fighter of the Trojans, breakers of horses in the days when they fought about Ilion. And I mean, and, and I, I mean, I, I read that, I, I, I read this scene many times, uh, and it always sort of brings me to tears. And, but then, <clears throat> finishes his speech, and you know, so speaking, glorious Hector held out his arms to his baby, who shrank back to his fair-girdled nurse's bosom, screaming and frightened at the aspect of his own father, terrified as he saw the bronze and the crest with its horsehair, nodding dreadfully as he thought out, as he thought from the peak of the helmet. Then his beloved father laughed out, and his honored mother, and at once glorious Hector lifted from his head the helmet and laid it in all its shining upon the ground. Then taking up his dear son, he tossed him about in his arms and kissed him and lifted his voice in prayer to Zeus and the other immortals. Zeus and you other immortals, grant that this boy who is my son may be as I am, preeminent in strength among the Trojans, great in strength as am I, and rule strongly over Ilion, and someday let them say of him, he is, he is better by far than his father. Wonderful, wonderful. It's this it's one of those moment, moments that just sort of jumps out of the poem. The humanity of it just jumps out of the poem at you, you know? And that's what, well, and that is what, I mean, that to me is what makes the Iliad yep. so wonderful. And it, 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 it goes, it goes between these moments of vicious and vivid yep. combat yep. Uh, and spares no details in describing it. Yep. Um, and <clears throat> also, you know these 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 scene, very very tender scenes of domesticity and of the, the 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 communal, the domestic, the intimate life mm-hmm. that is always that is you know that is the reason that uh, you know the the reason that the Trojans are fighting at all mm-hmm. is that is is that the, the, this is what's under threat. Yeah, this is what's going to be torn away. That's right. Uh, That's right. And it's always, and, and and I mean repeatedly in the poem, the worst thing is you know for the the, the worst fate for the worst the the worst fate that it can enumerate for 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 a woman is to be torn away from her family, uh, from her yeah. uh, and 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 you know, and as, as as the poem says several times to work at the womb of another yeah to to be yeah to be take to have all those relationships ripped away of course and of course that's that sits very uneasily as well in that sits in, in really stark tension as well with 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 uh with Greek practices of marriage. because uh, of course that is what happens when when a woman gets married. She mm-hmm. go, she she becomes a part of her husband's household. Right. And the 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 hymn to Demeter plays with this uh really, really well uh and talks about the you know, the, the, the the real kind of grief that that happens to 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 a, to a mother when her daughter uh, uh, goes is 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 taken from her to another house. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, I, I have something I'll I'll pair that with. Um, yeah, please. I, I was saying you're right. The greatest disaster for a wife would be to become a captive to yeah. slave elsewhere, and and the greatest disaster for a culture, you might say, is is the destruction of a great city. 
Mm -hmm. which is the other great thing in the background here we know is, is coming. You know, I thought about, um, for a different kind of contrast, the opening of Book 18. Book 18 is mm -hmm. the, the great shield of Achilles. And oh, yes. it's certainly one of those moments where suddenly the camera backs up and we have this enormous panorama of what the larger mm -hmm. civilization looked like. But there's another thing that goes on just before that, before we get to the mm -hmm. new uh, armor, uh, because Achilles has given his armor to Patroclus. Um, and so the great tragedy here is that Patroclus has gone off and gone too far and gotten mm -hmm. really involved in the battle and has lost his life um, horrifically with the interference of a god, Apollo, actually mm -hmm. uh, does this terrifying thing. And it's, it's really the god that takes down Patroclus at the hands of Hector. But at any rate, there's this moment where um, there's um, a kind of a messenger, um, mm -hmm. Antinous, who comes back to Achilles to deliver this unthinkable news mm -hmm. that his companion, his bosom friend, uh, Patroclus, in some ways uh, uh, one of the most heroic figures in the poem, has been killed. Mm -hmm. And so this is, uh, by the way, this is Fitzgerald, which is rather poetic, but it's kind of oh, yeah. a lot of more a bit. <clears throat> and so he's, uh, Achilles is thinking about and, and is fearful that just this very thing might happen. And as he's sitting in his camp thinking, um, while he called it all to mind, the son of gallant Nestor came up weeping to give his cruel news. Here's desolation, son of Peleus, the worst news for you. Would God it had not happened. Lord Patroclus fell and they were fighting over his body, stripped of armor. Hector has your gear. A black storm cloud of pain shrouded Achilles. On his bowed head, he scattered dust and ash in handfuls and befouled his beautiful face, letting black ash sift on his fragrant chiton. And then in the dust, he stretched his giant length and tore his hair with both hands. From the hut, the women who had been spoils of war to him and to Patroclus flocked in haste around him, crying loud in grief, all beat their breasts and trembling came upon their knees. Antilochus wept where he stood, bending to hold the hero's hands when groaning shook his heart. He feared the man might use sharp iron to slash his throat. And now Achilles gave a dreadful cry. Okay, at this moment, this extraordinary thing happens, this sort of supernatural moment. This cry is uh, apparently so great that it is heard by Achilles' mother, who is mm -hmm. a nymph of the ocean, the daughter of the sea god Nereus. And then suddenly, in this beautiful language, we get a catalog. Um, and Homer's full of catalogs. But this one mm -hmm. I, I'm picking out because the mere <laughs> names, the mere names of the Nereids, are to a modern American reader like poetry practically themselves. So here's, here's what happens as Achilles' cry is heard at the bottom of the ocean. Her ladyship, his mother, heard him in the depths offshore, lolling near her ancient father. Nymphs were gathered around her, all nereids who haunted the green chambers of the sea. Glauke, Thalea, and Cumodoke. Nesea, Speo, Thoe, Halie, with her wide eyes. Cumothoe, Actae, Lemnorea, Melite, and Iaira, 
Amphitoi agave doto proto ferusa dinamine dexamine amphinome calianera doris panope and storied galatea nemertes and epsudes calianasa climane ianera ianase myra orithia amethia and other nereids of the deep sea filling her glimmering silvery silvery cave. All these now beat their breasts as Thetis cried in sorrow, sisters, daughters of Nereus, hear and know how sore my heart is. Now my life is pain for my great son's dark destiny. I bore a child flawless and strong beyond all men. He flourished like a green shoot, and I brought him to manhood like a blossoming orchard tree, only to send him in the ships to Ilion to war with Trojans. Now I shall never see him entering Peleus' hall, his home again. And even while he lives beholding sunlight, suffering is his lot. I have no power to help him, though I go to him. Even so, I'll visit my dear child and learn what sorrow came to him while he held aloof from war. On this she left the cave, and all in tears her company swam aloft with her. Around them, a billow broke and foamed on the open sea. As they made land at the fertile plain of Troy, they went up one by one in line to where, in close order, Myrmidon ships were beached to right and left of Achilles. Bending near her groaning son, the gentle goddess wailed and took his head between her hands in pity. Just a phantasmagoric thing, but quite, quite wonderful. Oh yeah, that that that. Oh, that, I mean, I, I'm as as a. I'm I, most most people find most people find Homeric catalogs deeply boring, and I'm not one of those people. Oh, uh, I, have an, I, have an, I have an I have an I have an entire chapter on catalogs. Um, really, really, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I I, I love them. The true um, proof so. proof of nerdism. Yeah, you you well, got some Sappho. Let's do some Sappho. Oh yeah, I've got perhaps perhaps the most famous. Uh, mm -hmm. Of all, uh, the, the most famous, the most famous Sappho poem of all, uh, which is uh, not a complete poem, it, and and this for for those who are for those unaware, we we don't we have we we have one for certain complete poem of Sappho, mm -hmm. that, that and that's 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 number one, uh, the, the the one that Elias alluded to earlier, Poikilothron. Um, Mm -hmm. um which is a hymn to aphrodite everything else is in fragments yeah. um there were supposedly 10 books of her at alexandria um which are uh which were sorted by genre and they are we we what we have left of her is from excerpts and other authors from translations and other authors <clears throat> uh this one was most famous th uh th this one um number 31 was was most famously uh Basically translated by by the Latin poet Catullus in, in his poem number fifty one. Mm -hmm. um, it is probably it might be the single most influential lyric poem in the entirety of European literature mm -hmm. um, because <clears throat> it is it basically invents the love poem as we know it. <clears throat> um, it's it's you see you can see its influence immediately like in Virgil at the at the at the beginning at the beginning of um, Aeneid four. Describing the passion of Dido, um, 
all the way down to Rogers and Hart's Bewitched, Bothered, and Bewildered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's good. That's good. Uh, which is a, <clears throat> a, a a perfect kind of, because it's uh, 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 I can I can read oh I, I'll, let me let me do the fir- let me see if I can if I can do the first stanza. Yeah. Uh, in in uh in in Greek. Um, I've got I because I've yeah I've got my I've got my my page lyric here. Yeah. Um, yeah. It says パイナタイモエケイノシソスケイノシソステオイシンエメノネロオトシエナンエナンティオストエイイイイイイイイイイイイイイイイイイイイイイイイイイイイイイイイイイイイイイイイイイイイイイイイイイイイイイイイイイイ
you know, of uh, individual passion, emotion, personality that um, really upsets your expectations completely. Yeah, and it, oh, it's it's the it's this, <clears throat> and you know, and and right, and and I mean, Sappho, more than almost anyone, has been the subject of um, you know, really irresponsible biographic criticism. Yeah, um, uh, you know, for 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 a lot for many many reasons. I mean, you know, she, I mean, she, her her importance. Uh, her importance relative to the amount of her work that actually survives is probably probably unequal. You know that's um, true. That's true. Yeah, yeah. You know, there, there, there's so there's so little of it that yeah. remains, and and yet and yet what little there is is so profoundly influential. You know, this, um, is, a, this is an interesting classics uh, thing. This sort of aesthetic of the fragment. Yes. Um, you know, it, it, I, I, this is kind of weird, I guess, to people that have not. You know, they don't care about archaeology necessarily, and. You know, so you found an ancient coin. So what? You know, um, but but fragments, particularly in her case, but other authors too, uh, most of them probably, um, there is this aesthetic of trying to imagine what's around the fragment, what came before it, what came after it. This very elaborate pastiche process of trying to put things. Together. Oh yeah. This is this is what people did at Oxford and Cambridge for so many years. You know, just try to figure oh. out. These and, the, and puzzles, and it's oh yeah, and I mean the the I mean part of part of the uh, I mean I think I think part, yeah part of the part of the I think the, what sank the field into obscurity was <laughs> when it became uh, yes. you know largely puzzle uh, yeah yeah puzzle uh, uh, yeah and and the, the, it was and and uh, you know working and w the definition of classical scholarship for a while was working on textual problems. That's right. Um, oh, that's right. Which, all that, that said, you know, one of the, one of the, one of the, you know, I think great uh, poets of the second rank in 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 English literature, uh, A. E. Hausman was. Oh yes, you've well, mentioned course, him before. Yeah. Oh yeah, it was yeah an extremely accomplished textual critic. Uh, one prob That's true. probably the greatest of his day. I said a textual, a, a Latin textual critic, not a Greek one. Uh, his, right. His Greek, right. Uh, his Greek was fine, but. It, um, but yeah, and he you know, and he has a, a profound romantic imagination, yeah. Um, yeah. and 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 you know I think and was inspired I think in you know inspired in a lot of ways by that fragmentary aesthetic, the idea of what of what has been what comes down to us and 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 what is when what has been lost. I mean, his poetry is suffused with a sense of yeah. of profound loss. That's right. And and you know it's very much an example of someone who is sort of. Uh, both, both a highly accomplished technical scholar, but <clears throat> also for whom uh, the texts had sort of profound personal significance. I mean, you know, I mean, Sappho remains, you know, a, uh, you know, a, a source of profound, uh, uh, remains incredibly important for, you know, in the, liter the literature of and by, you know, women who love women. Um, sure. And, and, sure. Gave, gave gave the name of her home to to an entire sort of an entire culture and identity right um yep. and 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 of course that that's interesting by itself of course because the uh the 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 women who were reading greek in the 19th and early 20th centuries were not part of the academy right uh they were they were uh they were all amateurs of various kinds I mean, Jane Harrison, many of the all those people yeah 
Yeah, Virginia Woolf and, and yep. all, you know, very learned amateurs in many cases. Yeah. Um, sure. um, there's, there's a really wonderful, there's a really wonderful book um, by, by actually a University of Michigan professor named Yopi Prins, uh, who's in the English department, <laughs> called Ladies Greek. Um, uh, that's, a, that's all about, you know, 19th century women, Victorian women and their George Eliot, use. probably, right? Did, did George Eliot know oh, Greek? I suspect she I did. don't know. I don't know if Eliot knew Greek. It, it, it's, it's highly probable that she did. She's a very um, brilliant person, yeah. Yeah, 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 of course. And then, I mean, one of my, I mean, one of my favorite essays, is, one of my favorite essays is uh, Virginia Woolf's on not knowing Greek. Oh, yes. Uh, it's a beautiful, oh, yeah. beautiful essay. Absolutely, um, absolutely. You know, I want to read you, um, this shows a little bit of the difference in our, our generations here, millennial classicist versus boomer classicist, you know? <laughs> yeah. as, I, as I call myself, Zoomer classicist. <laughs> um, you know, there was a poet, I, he's now deceased. I don't know if you know the name uh, Guy Davenport. Do you know who that is? Uh, he, he I, around, I heard the name. Back in the 70s the and 80s, he was a Poundian. Um, okay. He was published by Berkeley Press. Um, but his translations have that kind of Poundian make it new approach. So this, this might strike you as slightly horrifying. But I wanted to read you the point that you just did in the Greek in his translation, because what he's working okay. for is to create a new poem in English close yeah. to Sappho, not a transliteration, not a Lattimore-like faithful translation, right. but in many ways a new poem. So this is, mm -hmm. this is Davenport. He seems to be a god, that man facing you, who leans to be close, smiles and alert and glad, listens to your mellow voice and quickens in love at your laughter. It stings my breasts, jolts my heart, if I dare the shock of a glance. I cannot speak, my tongue sticks to my dry mouth, thin fire spreads beneath my skin. My eyes cannot see and my aching ears roar in their labyrinths. Chill sweat slides down my body, I shake, I turn greener than grass. I am neither living nor dead and cry from the narrow between, but endure even this grief of love. Sounds like poetry, right? So. Oh yeah. But, but uh, a certain removed from, I mean, the idea, th this was the thing with this school of poetry. It was to so convince you that there was beauty here. I mean, this is my, my version of it anyway, that you would go learn the Greek. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh yeah, uh, that's the end. That's and, the telos. And it, and, and it, 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 it's there's some removed, but not much. Yeah, right, uh, right. It's pretty good, pretty uh, close. Uh, a couple of additions here and there, but not. Uh, yeah, no, it, and, yeah, and in many ways, it's the you know the goal of uh, the 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 way the way we do classics these days, <laughs> uh, which has been very different from. The stru I mean, the structure of a department is very different from the you know when when from from when you were in your studies. Yeah. Um. Just because the uh, the way that the um the way that the GI Bill caused the sort of democ okay. the um influx okay. of of people in, in, into the universities, mm -hmm. um, uh, many of whom were not there to study technical subjects. Uh, sure. I mean, they 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 came in. And wanted a university education, which at that time meant a uh, a humanistic one. Yeah, um, true. And you know the and but for for the classics, 
uh, this presented a problem because uh, the, mm -hmm. because they were they were coming with no Latin or Greek. Yeah. Um, so what do you do? And, and actually, it's sort of a point of pride here that it, 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 that that sort of structure was pioneered here at Michigan, which you, that you indeed you offer a robust array of courses. Indeed, I remember M Michigan was the great uh, publisher of translations from from the classics, and in particular Greek tragedies and comedies. Comedies, I remember for sure. Um, so yeah, that, that's that's familiar. And yeah, right. And and yeah, I think a lot of these were probably produced for the the new yeah. style of classes that were being offered. Which yeah, you offer most you most of your courses are offered in translation, and those are you know yeah. you you offer those in order to you know bring people what you can, and uh, to maybe entice a few of them who 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 want to make the exactly. jump. Exactly. To, uh, to learn the language. You know, I was a teaching assistant for William Aerosmith uh, at UT Austin. He was talking about Greek tragedy, the Bacchae, and so on. Mm -hmm. And the class was held in an auditorium for 200 students. Mm -hmm. So 200 undergraduates <laughs> thought that studying Greek tragedy made all the sense in the world for their future careers. It was quite not a reproducible moment, probably, but anyway, oh, yeah. right. I mean, and paperback translations were the tool, you know, right. this big boom in translation of the 60s and 70s. Mm -hmm. It was it was all about responding to the need uh, you're describing, quite right. We're, we're about to create an epic podcast here. Oh, so that's true, <laughs> yes. Why, why, don't we, why don't we go ahead to the symposium, because I know you have some oh, interesting yes. thoughts on this. The symposium has always been really important to me i th i i thought for a while that i might want to be a play-doh person really? um i uh yeah i i i took a i took i took a seminar on play-doh in my, my first semester here uh and it was a lot of fun but it was it was also sort of dizzying stuff um yeah. and yeah. uh i i i came to realize that i think I, that i was probably better served by poetry um <laughs> i know um, the feeling i know the feeling i read i read the symposium first in translation in my in my first uh, year of undergrad, and um, I, you know, I think my story is the same as I think as a lot of as the story of a of of a lot of people. Uh, you know, the story of uh, you know of all the uh, you know, same as the story of all those all those you know Oxford Uranians and all of that. That, that, that for someone who reads, uh, you know, the symposium and you know and and discovers that there are. There were there were in antiquity other other people like you. Uh, I, I I ended up I ended up giving a I ended up inscribing and giving a copy to the the uh, the to the young man I was I was seeing at the time. Uh, <laughs> a very sort of nineteenth century gesture. Yeah, um, yeah. But it's it, an extraordinary work. It's not like much of anything else in Plato or well, anything else one has ever. Well, yeah, that's and that's the thing. It's. It's 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 so bizarre. It's so just utterly. It's not even like the other Platonic dialogues. It's, right. Right. It's a. It's, it's it's sort of sort of standout weird one where where it's it's at, at its, you know, all of these sort of historical persons. I mean, mm -hmm. which which is which is traditional for Plato, but they're they're so they're of course somewhat more prominent here because uh, one one of them of course uh, uh, had had uh, had written a play. Uh, making a laughing stock of, Pla of Plato's teacher, right. Um, right. when the, the, uh, the, the Aristophanes clouds, which is also wonderful, 
yeah, it, yeah. It, which if if you know Socrates and no Greek philosophy is a tremendously funny play. And right. If you don't, uh, it's maybe less funny, but still <laughs> actually pretty good. Um, well, you're going to talk uh, a bit about Aristophanes' speech. I'm going to just briefly say something about Diatima, and then we'll yes. wrap up. How's that? Uh, yeah, that sounds good to me. All right. So yeah, the the speech of Aristophanes is. One is one of the two most famous speeches in the in the in the dialogue, and um, the other being the Atimas. Um, it's because it's this tremendously bizarre fable. Uh, he he paint he paints this this uh, this sort of ridiculous picture of humanity, where we were we used to be spherical, uh, <laughs> and, and 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 had had one face on each side and, and uh, you know, and got around and got around by rolling. <laughs> uh, and, um, but, but that humanity's power and potential was so great uh, that, that, uh, that Zeus uh, had, had to, that Zeus had to cut us in two. And that is, and, and that is the origin of love. Uh, it, is, it, is, it is incidentally also the, 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 or, the origin of a, uh, of a song from, from a rather strange, but also, but also rather good Broadway musical called Hedwig, Hedwig and the Angry Inch, um, <laughs> which, 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 which makes constant reference to the symposium. Um, that's a, but uh, it's, and it gives the origins of like, and th this is the origin of, of Eros, of, 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 the, of the, the profound attraction that human beings feel for one another. And it, it, it's described. It's a wound. It's the wound of human nature. It's it's the the fundamental, the feeling of lack, you know, in ourselves when we are alone, mm -hmm. uh, the need for other persons, and uh, and he he talks about you know the, and he talks about the the different kinds of people that you know that that meant that uh, you know there there were three kinds of people. One kind that was two men and another kind that was two women and another kind that was one of each and that that, that and that the 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 origin of of one's of one's desires depends on the type that your soul was split from yeah um and the um it, it, it's, it's always struck me that it's 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 so bizarre and yet so deeply moving and in, in, in a way that you can't really say why when you first read it mm -hmm. um but that it's you know pe pe people on when they read it sort of for the first time like oh well that that's you know you're finding your soulmate or whatever but that's not it it's never it it's not you you don't find the one person you were paired up with you you find someone who is sufficiently there mm -hmm. that you can that they can make that ache go away for a little bit or mm -hmm. or or in part mm -hmm. um but but it, but it's never but it's never gone. It's you're 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 always sort of the 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 the, 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 says, you know, the, the, the gods and the gods invent the gods invented sex in order to make that it go away for a time for a time, but it never does. Yeah. Uh, it, but it's always back. <clears throat> this and, sort and of to put, it, to put it in the mouth of Aristophanes is also an extraordinary thing because it's kind of like a an etiological story. It's it's you know the yes. myth of origin, right? Yes, and so in some ways, there's something kind of primal about it, and and maybe sort of serious in a, in a way. And yet, it's Aristophanes, even right. with kind of a, a an amused tone in his voice, perhaps, that is explaining this crazy fable, this amazing 
you know, uh, idea. Yeah, and 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 it's right, and it's, it's it, right. It's interesting that that it's Aristophanes. Aristophanes gets that, whereas you know the the tra the tragedian Agathon gets hmm. uh, gets a speech that that you know I think we often read and dismiss as kind of poetic fancy as, as something as something like it's stylistically pretty but it's ultimately pretty shallow mm -hmm. um and you know i think there's a lot to that um so i mean certainly certainly aristophanes speech is a lot more interesting yeah uh, yeah and um and i think and it, i mean i mean i think it also displays plato's extraordinary skill as a dramatist yeah uh which is which is you don't really you don't really think you don't really think about that because I think a lot of the, a lot of the like the early Platonic dialogues, are just sort are just sort of back and forth, and then the middle and later ones are a lot more sort of abstract and philosophical. Yes. But in in the, but in this in a dialogue like the Phaedrus, mm -hmm. um, and and, in, and even in portions of the Republic. Yep. Uh, you get these moments of really of really. Um, sharp dramatic acuity that uh that you know reveals someone who really did understand people in in a re in a really profound way that's right that's right you know the uh the diotima speech i'll just i'll just be brief about this socrates mm -hmm. at the end gets his moment and and what he's recounting is his conversation with a sort of strange woman a, a kind of a seer from Mantinea. Uh, a, a sort of a witch figure, perhaps, and she's explaining mm -hmm. to Socrates there's a kind of an ascent um, in mm -hmm. our understanding of love. We began, you know, in a way at, at the level that Alcibiades or uh, Aristophanes was talking about, at the level of beautiful bodies mm -hmm. and this, this, you know, this Greek fascination with physical beauty, and then what it what it suggests, and and she's saying to him. What it does is you begin to realize it's not this body or that body. It's something about all of these qualities that lead you to a higher understanding of embodiment, you know, in a way. And eventually, as, as this kind of love leads you upward, you begin to understand uh, how it is a, a way of approaching the truth. So that, mm -hmm. you know, first year philosophy students read this. And by the time she's done, <laughs> you know they they're converted. Um, mm -hmm. they, they oh yeah they, they get the wonderful way in which the Greek language, even in translation, really um, suggests that we're we're going into this Platonic framework where these ideas, these beautiful, otherworldly notions, are in some way the source of all of this earthly yearning and struggle and confusion. And if we have the ability to raise our eyes, to come out of the mm -hmm. cave, you know, as he says elsewhere, uh, we will come closer to seeing uh, real beauty, real being, and other such uh, notions. So you, you finish the, the dialogue just dazzled, you know, uh, mm -hmm. thinking, thinking you have to, you're going to have to read this a number more times to really get it, but something very extraordinary was being said there. Oh yeah. Uh, um, uh, one of my, uh, one, one, one of my, one of my own teachers, uh, has, 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 
uh, always been fascinated by the speech and has written on it a bunch. Uh, uh, David Halperin, um, who um, he wrote a very famous article called "Why Is DOTM a Woman?" Um, and and he's 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 come back to that speech many 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 times. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, talked about I've talked about it with him with him a bunch. Uh, it's yeah, it's it's uh, there's always the. I mean, this is where you get really into sort of the 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 real the the meat of of uh, of the the intellectual tradition that is eventually going to um to to intersect with with uh a a a disreputable jewish heresy uh and uh <laughs> right. and and be exactly. and be, and become become the christian church uh, uh you have you know what uh like what Bernard of Clairvaux is later going to, later going to, to talk about as, as sort of a, a trinitarian structure to mm-hmm. to love. There is always there is always the lover, there is always the beloved, and then there is always something beyond something mm-hmm. that the beloved leads toward. Uh, um, yes. That for the sake of which one loves. Very good. Very and good. Yep. and it's yeah, yeah as you said, Plato 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 sells you completely on it. I mean, the, the, you. <laughs> you cannot read the symposium in i guess in a vulnerable way in a receptive way and not come away at least at first absolutely sold on it yeah um you know it, it makes a connection that i think previously does not exist for many readers mm-hmm. there's a connection between love and knowing yes you know um something to right. do with the whole teacher student conversation in some way some strange way right well yeah and yeah this uh, yeah this, this idea uh th- this idea of what sort of you know an intellectual erotics that yep. um has you know motivates i mean a lot of really extraordinary thinkers um from uh, in on, on a lot of ways and both you know reputable and extremely disreputable <laughs> right. um you know, and, and, and people are sort of across the intellectual, across the sort of political intellectual Indeed. spectrum as well. I mean, this was Indeed. very important to somebody like Alan Bloom, yes. Uh, yes. who, who, you know, regardless of his politics, is is a first-rate intellect, right. Um, right? And is uh, and and I mean, and was and was clearly important to somebody like Heidegger, uh, who who is reprehensible. Um, Absolutely. Uh, and um, <clears throat> and but yeah, but also to to. To, to later, I mean, to somebody like to somebody like like Gregory of Nyssa, for whom mm-hmm. the the experience of the experience of heaven is is the eternal experience of coming into greater and greater knowledge of God. Yeah. That 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 um part of the the ecstasy the the ecstasy of of heaven is the you know sort of finally realizing the full knowledge the full knowledge of 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 the one who is infinitely knowable the, you know, the, the, the thirst for knowledge is infinite and and it's ultimately only satisfied uh by by the one that is never exhausted yeah yeah lovely that's that's good that's good that's the and the well i I'm, I'm reminded of my one of my favorite one of my favorite quotations from c.s lewis it was from the the from um, the great divorce uh, it's one of my favorite works of his. It says, you know, <clears throat> the one of the ghosts is talking to a one. There's one of the the one of the blessed uh, in heaven is talking to a, a, a an un, uh, an as yet unsaved ghost who who used to be a theologian, 
<laughs> and a philosopher. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says, you know, uh, <clears throat> something like, you know, you, like, you want, you, you know, you, 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 you've, you know, up until now, you've only grasped the truth in an abstract way. I will bring you, I will bring you to where you can taste it like honey and be embraced by it like a lover. Hmm. Well, uh, you know, and, and, and I think, and, that, and, and, and this, I think this is part of what's so powerful in Plato, right? Is that he, he always retains for him the, it's the way the, the, the you know, the, he, he's, he says that this, you know, this, I guess the sort of the, the sensuous element is, is going to be transcended, mm-hmm. but it's never gone. Correct. And, it, and he, yeah. always, he always, he always, <clears throat> he always talks about knowing in these, I mean, very concrete and sensuous terms. Yeah, true. Um, true. Uh, that it, that and, and that it that it that it's so, but you know, and, but always always in, always in a way that, 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 that it, these these are the these are the best ways we have for understanding it. But it's also so much more than that. That's right. That's right. Wallace Stevens has a poem entitled "Not Ideas About the Thing, but the Thing Itself." Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I feel like uh, that's what we've got to. It, it's it I mean it's it's what we aim at right it's yeah, the yeah. it's the you're, you're and it's and it's always and i mean and and that's of course and that's the uh i mean coming i think this this comes this comes back full circle in 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 appropriate ring composition style to our our <laughs> our, our discussion of the aesthetics of the fragments yes that you know we 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 have you know, and, and I mean, in, in a lot of ways, that, you know, Plato, I think, is probably the best theorist of, of the fragment that we have. Is that we, we only have a piece. We have, we have an imperfect, oh. yes, we have an imperfect image mm-hmm. that hints at something far better. Right. Um, yep. And it's a, I don't know, have you, have you, have you, have, do you know the Tom Stopper play, The Invention of Love? No. It's it's it, it, he it's a it's a it's a Tom Stopper play about it's about A. E. Hausman. Uh, really? Huh. And it's always it's sort of governing metaphor is it, the the governing metaphor of the play is is sort of textual criticism and love huh. as love uh, that you're you're always you're aiming always at something that's totally beyond your reach. Yeah. Um. You know, and uh, but you know you there is a kind of moral imperative to do the very best that you can to get as close to it as you possibly can. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, and he's <clears throat> the figure of Hausman is always, is, is contrasted, is always overshadowed by the figure, is always in the shadow of the figure of Oscar Wilde, who of course was his contemporary. Oh, yes. Um, yes. Who is, uh, Haus, oh. Hausman, I mean, Hausman is someone who, 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 who lived his, his, <laughs> his erotic life in secret. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm-hmm. was was very very closeted, very closed off about it, mm-hmm. um, and you know who who had you know who who went to his grave uh, loving his best friend from school, mm-hmm. uh, and um, but you know was never was was not able ever, ever able to 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 really realize that, um, mm-hmm. and contrasted with the figure of somebody like Wilde, who is sort of yeah. always public, always yeah. on display. Yes. Uh, is sort of egregiously public about his, his, uh, who he is and how he likes to live his life. So the play is about both figures. The the, the play is about Hausman, but uh, hmm. Wild is always a Wild Wild is a, Wild is sort of always a shadow hanging hanging over events, and he eventually appears. <clears throat> yeah, uh, <clears throat> toward the end of the play. Huh. Um, Sounds good. It's it's really 
yeah, I know. I highly recommend it if you have. It's it's a really really wonderful. Piece. It also features uh, really delicious excerpts from Hausmann's criticism, uh, of which he he was famously. I mean, he was famously one of the most vicious critics yes. uh, who ever lived. Yes. Um, I, I I came across a copy of his edition of Lucan at a at a at a at an estate oh, sale. Oh. Um, and and I bought it solely for the preface, uh, yeah. for, uh, in which he he enumerates in great detail why why every past why every past critic uh, is wildly incompetent at his job. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, With great precision, admit, of course. Yeah, uh, and, and, and yeah, and, and uh, <clears throat> brings great passion to <clears throat> to to this very very dusty task. <laughs> Lovely. All right, Dan. What a pleasure. This was um, really delightful. Thank we, you. We didn't we didn't even get to go through our whole kind of wish list here, but maybe maybe no. another occasion. So much, so much. Anyway, I'm glad you're well. Uh, you're obviously thriving in solitude, as I'm attempting to do also, and keep our wits <laughs> keep our wits about us. You know. Yes. But it was a pleasure. So again, many thanks, and uh, I'll look forward to uh, connecting with you again. Yes, all right, all, right, all right, yes, thank you very much. Have, 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 have a lovely afternoon. You too, be well. Take care, Be Dan. well, be well. Mm -hmm.